0: First of all, the very first thing I want to do is to uh, thank you, Luke, for your devotions this morning. I sincerely appreciated that, and lest I forget, I don't think I said anything about you, Brandon, yesterday, but thank you as well. I'm going to tell you, young men, and everybody that's here listening... If I had been asked to do that when I was your age, I probably would have declined. I was not inclined to do that, and I know it's tough. I it's, understand that, but to my shame, I probably would have refused. And uh, I commend you for doing that, and you have both given us some good challenges. Thank you. Also, want to say that, um, this is this too loud? Max. You control the volume. I also want to say that I recognize that this is only the second day we've been here. We Yesterday we spent all day and we listened then to Joe's introduction on the first night we got here and I have the distinct sensation that I'm trying to get a drink of fresh water from a fire hose and my face is all wet but I'm still thirsty. And I hope that you're thirsty as well. I have appreciated what we have heard and I want to thank you Mark for your little graphic illustration your display of the Jewish espousal and wedding. Uh, We knew parts of that but you and Judy brought that alive to us. I'm grateful for that it helped to give a little better picture and then I think about the time when, when you told about the bride price that had to be paid and how that's still a part of many, many countries today. They still observe that. $25,000 for a bride is not unusual. And that made me, convinced me that I really got a good deal. <laughs> In 1960, Becky only cost me two (laughs) dollars, and then my income for life. (laughs) Sorry, hon, I couldn't pass up the opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) Now, thank you. That's that's been good to hear all of that. Yesterday morning, we talked about Jesus is the way, and Jesus is the truth, and. We're not going to reiterate all of that by any means, but I want us to know that we, the world we live in desperately needs to know the way, and they're not even looking for it. They're not interested in it. People are not interested in looking for the way. It seems like the mantra for Society today would be more along the lines of, pursue pleasure so we can avoid the pain of looking down the road and having to deal with that. Let's just block it out here with pleasure. Not a good plan. We can't change that global mindset, nor are we going to try, but we can perhaps have a little bit of an influence in our sphere, our circle of friends, our circle that we associate with on a day-to-day basis. Because, beloved, we know the way. We know the way. And the way isn't simply a path to follow, but rather it's a person to embrace. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way. And He is the truth. And He is the life. This world is consciously ignoring, repudiating the truth. And we went through all of that. And that is absolutely amazing to me how that ignoring or repudiating the truth just... Truth just flies in the face of common sense. The the decisions they make are not even practical. Some of the practices this, this world engages in are an absolute abomination to God. God tells us about that in His Word. They're destructive. They're senseless. And when truth is ignored, man's selfish and depraved nature takes charge, and common sense is gone. If there's anything that I am amazed at it is I am amazed at the patience and the long suffering of God that he has tolerated mankind for several millennia now and his outstretched hand is still there he's still offering grace and salvation to whosoever will come to him but there is coming a time someday God will say that's enough it's time to bring my children home Mark's illustration yesterday when he stood here was, the father's going to say to the son, son, it's time to go get your bride. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So we want to be ready for that. Today we'd like to talk for a little while about Jesus is the life. And so if you want to open your Bibles again to John chapter 14, we're going to read the same six verses. And... um, Let's uh, let's this morning let's start with Nikki over there. I don't think you girls have gotten to read very much. So let's start with Nikki and just proceed to your left. Read the John chapter 14 verse six, first 6 verses, please. One verse at a time. Yeah, one verse at a time. The girls go on the line. <clears throat> also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it so were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And I go to And he Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not where thou goest. How can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way of the truth all right thank you let's bow our heads in prayer our heavenly father we are once again about to launch into a little study of your word we do pray father that you will bless our time together we pray that you will manifest your spirit among us not only in my life but in the lives of everyone here who is listening and we would offer a special prayer on behalf of these young men and women that as they face the numerous challenges of life, that you would be with them and guide them in the decisions they make, and the things they do, the places they go, the things they say. Lord, just be very present in their lives. We who are older and have covered a few more miles, we can look back on those times and we can say that we... We didn't make the right decisions, but Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your provision in our lives. Help these people to do the right thing and to know, to know absolutely that when they do fail from time to time, you're still there. Thank you, Father, for the promises of your word. We ask you to be with us this morning and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is the life. I wonder if you were to set up a survey on a street corner and, and ask people as they walk by, just catch random strangers and ask them this question, what did Jesus mean when he said he was the life, Totally, out, just totally off the wall to anybody that's walking there. But when you would pose that question to them, I wonder how many people you would have to talk to before you found out a correct answer. Most, I I would venture to say that most everybody you're going to ask that question to is going to look at you like you're some kind of a wacko. Some people would just walk away. I think there would be a lot of adverse reaction to that. Just a question out of the blue. What did Jesus mean when he said that he was the life? We are alive. There is plant life. There is animal life. There is human life. We know about life. And we also know about death. And I want to say just a comment at this point about death. We know about death. We know what it's like. We attend funeral services, and that's for our benefit. I know people that I work with who dread going to a funeral. In fact, the only funeral they've ever been to was the funeral of his own dad. And he will, and he reluctantly went there. He is deathly afraid of going to a funeral. There's a terrifying aspect there. No, we don't like it. But we're not afraid of it. And that's the difference because we have the Lord Jesus dwelling within us. We know that ultimately that's where we're going to go and we're prepared for that. So we know about life and we know about death. That's okay. But the question we want to deal with this morning is what is so special about the life, the life, we dealt with that yesterday. Notice the definite article, the life. It's not just one of many. What is so special about the life that Jesus gives? And so I think that's a good question. Let's see if we can try to answer it for us. And we're not going to spend an inordinate amount of time on this, but the first half of this message, I'll give you a little preview here, the first half of this message, or thereabout, will be about Jesus being the life. Then we're going to finish, that we'll have finished, Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. And then the last half, we'll we'll plan to talk about him being our mediator. So we had to kind of divide it up this way in order to stay within the timelines. So... We're gonna talk about Jesus being the life. Let's answer the question, what's, what's so special about this? I think we'd all agree, first of all, that life is very fragile. These bodies that we live in are actually quite tough. They can endure a lot of punishment, a lot of hardship, and at the same time, they're very, very frail. We can become sick because of some microscopic organism that we can't even see and yet it can grow and multiply so rapidly that it can be life-threatening and even take our life if it's not dealt with. These bodies need certain components for survival. We need water, we need food, we need rest, we need uh, protection from diseases, all of those kinds of things or our life will be ended. In our natural bodies, our earth suits that we live in, We're very vulnerable to many different kinds of things that can affect the condition of our lives. But all of that to say, all of that to say, we know that Jesus was not talking about our natural lives, not talking about our physical bodies when he says that he is the life. He's talking about our spiritual lives. And that is way more important. These physical bodies that we live in are here for a period of time, that allotted time prescribed by God. Only He knows how long we're going to be here. But when we we are finished here, when He calls us home, our spirits, as we heard last evening when Dan talked to us, our spirits are going to coexist with God. We will be given new glorified bodies, and I can't tell you what they're going to be like, But the important thing that we focus on today is what is the condition of our spiritual lives? Jesus never once promised us life on earth free of pain or trauma, heartache, hardship, none of that. He didn't promise. His promises to us pertain to our spiritual life in Him while we're here on earth and also beyond the grave, which is eternal life. That's what he's interested in. That's what we are interested in here today. So we're going to talk for a little while about three different kinds of life. We're going to talk about the abundant life. We're going to talk about resurrected life. And we're going to talk about eternal life. And I want to make it very clear here at the outset that these three lives... The abundant, the resurrected, the eternal life, these three lives are available to all, but only in Christ Jesus. That's the stipulation. Outside of Christ Jesus, apart from him, we have no promise of abundant life. We have no promise of resurrected life as far as the joyful life in him. We have the promise of eternal life, but it's not going to be in the place where you want to be. So, let's take a look at those. Probably going to ask some of you uh, students today to do a little bit more reading. And uh, we're going to start out in John chapter 10. First of all, we want to talk about the abundant life. So, if you want to open your Bibles to John 10, we probably spend a good part of our time going back and forth in John today. We want to read, starting off with Abundant Life, verses 7 through 11. And uh, I'm not sure where you girls finished up there. Okay, Heidi, why don't you start and and again read verses 7 through 11, please. Uh, Yes, why don't you go ahead and do that this time. Okay, thank you. Jesus is illustrating to us in this short passage of Scripture that he is both the door to the sheepfold and he is more than just a shepherd. He is the good shepherd. Now let me make a clarification here when it comes to talking about shepherds versus hirelings. A shepherd is the man who has a vested interest in that flock. That is his livelihood. He has a sensitive feeling toward that flock. He wants to take care of them. He wants to see them fed and watered. He wants to see them comfortable as much as possible. He wants to see the sheep free of parasites and diseases. That shepherd is a good shepherd because he provides for his flock, as contrasted to a hireling who has no vested interest in the sheep. He's just doing it for a job, so they're a little bit thirsty, so what? Or so the pastor isn't very adequate, so what? Really, he's he's kind of bored doing what he's doing. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, and he is the one, he has a vested interest in you and I, because he purchased us with his own precious blood, and that is the most precious thing that ever, the price was ever paid. So he has a vested interest in us. So now let's look at the word abundantly and what this is all about. The word is perissos, and it means beyond measure. It's superfluous. It's the same as the, as, as the word that's translated in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, where it tells us that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Now you might think about that for just a little bit. How many, what kind of a picture do you get out of that? God is able to do exceedingly, It's one word, abundantly, another word, beyond all that we ask or think, and use your imagination there, all that we can imagine. Now some of us can ask some pretty big things, some of us have pretty good imaginations, we can let our imagination ramble and and go to some bizarre ends. The Bible says that God is able to do way beyond that, beyond what we can ask or think. That's what this abundant life is all about. Now, this shepherd that we're talking about, that has the ability to do this, he controls the door, and so, therefore, there is no entry or no exit without his knowledge or his approval. He controls the door into the sheepfold. Um, most of the sheep folds back in, in times when this was written would be a, we'll call it circular or semicircular enclosure made out of rocks that had been gathered and, and piled up about so high, just enough so a sheep couldn't jump over them. Um, predators could still jump in sometimes, but it would be a rock enclosure. Maybe it would be part of a, a hillside, a cliff, or something like that. Maybe it could be brambles around there, but anything to try to keep the sheep confined and safe at night. And then history tells us that oftentimes the shepherd is the one who would, when the sheep are safe in the fold at night, he would lay prostrate across the opening, single little opening there, he would lay across that as the doorway. And you might think that's a little strange. Really, it's not. Because the shepherd would lay there and the sheep were too timid to jump across him and to go out. They knew he was there for their safety and they were timid creatures anyway. So they were too timid to jump out and predators were afraid to jump over him to get in. So actually it was a pretty effective doorway. And and he had full knowledge of what was going on inside or outside of the sheepfold. And And the analogy I want to make out of that is that Since Jesus is the door to the sheepfold in our lives today, there's no one that's going to come into the fold without doing business with him first. And that's very important for us to remember. And I think that we have all done business with God. I think that's why we're here today. We want to know more about him. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, it is then, at that point in time, that we are granted access into the fold. Now I want us to notice what happens thereafter. Let's take it from here. We're in the sheepfold. Look at what happens. Verse 9. Jesus says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture three things i want to look at first thing he says i am the door and by me if any man enter in he shall be saved that's the important part he shall be saved there is salvation there is safety in jesus christ we are told that and he has promised us that he will take care of us So there's safety in Jesus Christ, that's the first thing. Then it says, and he shall, you and I, shall go out and go in. That tells me that there is liberty in Jesus Christ. Not liberty to go in and out, out into the world to sin and then come back in and be saved and back out again and sin and back in. No, it's not talking about that. We don't go back and forth Our salvation is not based upon now we're saved and now we're not, and then now we are again. We are saved in Christ Jesus. We have liberty. We have liberty to go outside the fold and witness to the world around us and dwell among these people. Hopefully we don't allow them to rub off on us, but we must go out into the world for our occupations, for all of these kinds of things. We have liberty to go outside and mingle with the world, and live among those people, and then we come back into the fold. And may I say, we're in the fold here today. We are protected, we are learning more about God's word, but there's gonna come a time in a few days from now when we're gonna go out there, every one of us. We're gonna have occupations, whether it's school or whatever it is, we're gonna go back out there and we're gonna be mixing with the world. And you're gonna feel like you're not in the fold, because it's kinda rough sometimes. But we have the liberty to go out there. We want to do what's right while we're out there. And we come back into the fold to be with our Savior. And this is where we commune with him. Not to say we can't commune out there, but it's a whole lot easier when we're we're, when we're in the fold and in His will. So there's, there's safety in Jesus Christ, there's liberty in Jesus Christ, and the f- third point is, and sh- shall find pasture. There is sustenance in Jesus Christ. He feeds us. We have spiritual food to, to, gr- to grow on and to thrive on. It, and it's in His Word that has been held up and will continue to be held up through the rest of these meetings. He gives us sustenance so we can grow in Him. There's safety, there's liberty, there's sustenance in Jesus Christ. Now verse 10 says, The thief thief cometh not, but from one point, to steal and to kill and to destroy. Everything is negative. There's no positive here whatsoever. I am come, the good shepherd has come, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The objective of the good shepherd is, is to give us abundant life, a life that is rich, a life that is full, a life that is overflowing and and full. And, And I think you see what we're talking about. We experience that abundant life every day. There's safety, there's liberty, there's sustenance in this abundant life such that the unbelieving world has no comprehension of what I am saying right now. You know what we're talking about but the unbelieving world doesn't even have an idea. And that is sad. Wandering around, aimlessly wandering around, not even looking for the right way, as we said earlier, but they have no no direction. They just want to get this over with. Apart from Jesus Christ, and we're going to leave abundant life here abruptly, apart from Jesus Christ, we are alive, but we have no life in us. That's the point. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are alive, people are alive, but they have no life in them, no eternal life, no resurrected life, no abundant life. In Jesus Christ, we have abundant life. Next, we're going to talk about resurrected life. In a way, resurrected life is kind of a, you might say it's an oxymoron, it's a puzzle. Resurrected life. It means literally life from the dead, and so I ask you: Has anyone seen that happen? Have you ever seen anyone who died come back to life? I'm not talking about nature when I say that. Um, nature goes dormant in the winter; it comes back vibrant in the spring, and we say, "Oh, it's new life." We're seeing that happen down the valley at Ellensburg. Some of the some of the recent, uh, the newest. Uh, Earliest, what I want to say, earliest flower, uh, flowers are coming up, and some of the trees are starting to bloom. New life, yeah. Well, sort of like they never really died; they just went dormant. That's what happened there. When warm-blooded creatures die, they stay dead. Jesus went to the cross. He suffered and he died. He didn't just faint. He didn't swoon away and then revive like some people would try to propose to us. He died. He was buried in the tomb and he came forth in resurrection three days later. Jesus told us in John chapter 10 verse 18, he says, I have the power. This was a prediction of what he was going to do. I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take it again. And that's exactly what he did. He proved his point. That he has the power to do that. So we worship, we serve a living God. We serve the God who was willing to take our sins upon himself. He shed his blood to atone for our sins. He died on the cross and he was resurrected to life. Beloved, that feature, resurrected life, that is the touchstone of our faith. That is the new paradigm of our faith. There are a lot of religions, there are a lot of different kinds of, maybe you call them faith, but there are a lot of different kinds of religions and none of them, none of them have a deity that has come back to life because it's impossible, it doesn't happen. They're false deities anyway, but Jesus Christ is the one and only God who came back to life and furthermore gave His life for us. And came back to life again. Let's look at a couple of proof scriptures. John chapter five. <clears throat> John chapter five. We want to read verses twenty-five through twenty-nine, but the special emphasis will be on twenty-eight and twenty-nine because that's really addresses what we're talking about here. And I guess I see Heidi. You were last, so uh, Carrie, you want to? Start next year, please. I'm picking on the girls this morning, boys. So you have to sit there. Uh, John chapter five verse 25 mm-hmm. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and it's now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the voice of God, and those who hear will live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, let's continue on. Let's read the rest of them. Uh, Janelle, go ahead. For as the Father hath so have to be given to the son to have life in himself. And have given him authority to execute judgment also, because he was the soul of the end. Mark not this, for the hour is coming, and the witch that all are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, and they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damn nation. Alright, thank you. This is the future. For all mankind, for all men and women, both good and bad. It is literal. It is the words of Jesus. There is a resurrection of life in Christ Jesus. There is a resurrection unto damnation apart from Jesus Christ for all evil doers. In Christ Jesus, we have nothing to worry about apart from Christ Jesus, we have everything to worry about. And that's why the world is frustrated today, because they don't want to deal with reality, they don't want to submit themselves to the the instruction of God's holy word, they don't even want to recognize it for what it is, and so they have a lot to worry about. So they try to drown drown it out in various different ways. This is our future. There is life eternal. And, and, and Jesus says, marvel not at this. In, in our language today, he's saying, don't be amazed. Why would this surprise you? He is, the, he is the God of the living. He's God of the dead. He's God of eternity. For the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. There is a resurrection. And we, in a sense, in a very real sense, we are living a resurrected life now and we're going to get into that a little bit more when we talk about eternal life but we are in this very real sense we are living that resurrected life in Christ Jesus right now I don't want you to 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 leave here thinking resurrected life is something way over here and I'm going to have to die to get there that's partly true but we are living a resurrected life in Christ Jesus right now today that's part of our eternal life in him one more scripture and then we're going to leave this uh, John chapter 11 11 verses 23 through 26 Um yeah, let's finish with the girls here and then we'll jump over to the boys side. Was it your turn, Katie? Yeah, okay. Uh, John 11 verse 23 through 26 Jesus <clears> said unto them "Thy brother shall I know that shall rise again in the and David you want to start there in 25 Jesus said unto her I am the resurrection and the life he that believeth in me though he were dead yet shall he live, so live and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die Believest thou this? Okay, special emphasis on verse 25 and 26. That's what we want to focus on. Notice again that Jesus says I am. We covered that yesterday. Here we see the I am once again, the name of God who tells us about his person, his existence, his eternal existence, all of the things he am. Jesus own claim to be the resurrection and the life. Any question he He poses for every one of us. Do you believe this? That's a fair statement. That's a fair question. Do you believe this? And I ask you personally today, have you made that statement of faith to God Himself? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? And may I say to you, if you have not dealt with that, if you have not made that statement, it is time to do that. It's time to confess him from your heart? My answer to that question is, yes, I believe with every fiber in my body. Let's talk about eternal life. When does eternal life begin? If eternal life has no end, and we would agree to that, then what about the beginning? Does it have a beginning? Well, the answer to that question is, for the believer, eternal life begins when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We enter into that eternal life. He is eternal. He is the eternal existent one. And so we enter into that eternal life with Him. And so Jesus Christ is eternal. We are now in Him And he is in us, the Bible tells us that, and so therefore we enter into this eternal life when we become a part of his family, when we become part of the redeemed church of God. And Mark has been telling us about that, and he's got more to say, but we have been redeemed As part of his family, as part of the church, we have been redeemed. And the word redeemed simply means that we have been bought back. He has paid a price for us. We know the price was his blood. He paid that ransom price to take us out of the clutches of Satan, where we were at one point in time. That's how we have eternal life. It's not something we fabricate or conjure up or anything like that. Eternal life is in the person of, knowing the person of, being in fellowship with the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now let's go to John chapter 10 and look at this in a little more detail. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29. Yes. Um, See, I think Eric was, he was next. Let's read these three verses, and then we'll talk about them a little bit. I I and <clears> they me. life, and they Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave me, is greater than all. And no man can able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I like More your emphasis there, Brandon. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. This is perhaps one of, if not the, greatest verses on the assurance on assurance uh, in Christ Jesus and all of God's Word. Let me say it again. This is perhaps one of the greatest verses on assurance in all of God's Word. So let's take a closer look at it. It tells us in verse 27 that my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Remember yesterday we talked, just for a little bit at the very beginning, we talked about how God knows us already. Our job is to come to know Him. And all of this we're talking about yesterday and today is to lead us along the line so we can know Him better and more fully every day, that we might know Him. There is a very close relationship between the sheep and their shepherd. And I recited some of that a little while ago, how the shepherd has the responsibility of taking care of them. And he and a good shepherd will indeed make sure his sheep are comfortable even when he is uncomfortable. He will do the best he can. I heard a story one time about how the sheep recognize only the shepherd's voice or the shepherd's call. And so... I went on YouTube and I found a short video that told me and demonstrated to me exactly how that works and it was very interesting. The setting was that there was a video camera placed here and there was a fence in front of it and there was a pasture of sheep out in front of of this. And uh, the shepherd was just talking quietly to a group of people here telling about how that his call was recognized by the sheep. And so he allowed a young girl to come up and stand at the fence, and she made some kind of a call, tried to imitate the shepherd, and the sheep was just busily grazing away. They didn't even wiggle an ear. They kept on grazing. So she finished her try. A young man came up, and he tried to imitate the shepherd's call. No response whatsoever. An older man came up, and he tried to imitate the shepherd's call. Nothing happened. And then the shepherd took. (laughs) Stood up. And he did this funny little call, you know, and the heads came up. Nothing happened. They just looked around a little bit. The heads came up. They stopped grazing. And so he paused a little bit, and he made the call the second time, and one started walking toward the fence, and then another one followed. And he made the third call, and by that time they were running. They were all headed for the shepherd. The, sh- the sheep recognized the shepherd's voice. And so the lesson for us, do you recognize the shepherd's voice in your life? You know, he may have a kind of a funny call sometime, but if you know the shepherd, you'll recognize it. I think he made a call for me to come up here some time ago, and and, uh, I I didn't recognize it right away. I'm glad that I did. But sometimes his call is is, is to us to uh, stretch us a little bit. But if it's his call, he's going to provide, he's going to take care of us. Do you recognize the call of the shepherd? Verse um, 28 tells us, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Notice the promises that we have in that one single verse. First of all, he says, I give eternal life. He is the dispenser of eternal life, only Jesus Christ. And he says, number two, they will never perish. And he says, number three, no other man can pluck us out of the shepherd's hand. May I go so far as to say that if you find out that you are not in the shepherd's hand, he didn't drop you, you walked away. Come back. And there is, there, he's still there. No man, no other person can pluck us out of the shepherd's hand. And the reason is, verse 29, my father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. The Father has given us to His Son as a gift. And Jesus Christ is very, very jealously protective of the gift that His Father has given Him. He will protect us. He will protect what belongs to Him because His Father has given it to Him now let's go to John chapter 13 the first three verses and I think some of you could quote that from what I've learned here the last couple of days I want to read um, I'm just going to take the liberty to read these three verses myself I don't, uh, we're going to have to keep moving here time wise so th- let's read John chapter 17 three, first three verses these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said father The hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Jesus, again, we're, we're starting to repeat ourselves in some of these things, but Jesus wants us to know him. That is critical. He wants us to know him. He's not some abstract deity over here that's ready to squash us or stomp, stomp on us. No. He wants to take care of us. He wants us to know him, and he wants, to, wants us to know him intimately. That confirms to us that Jesus Christ is in fact the giver of eternal life and the quality of life that he gives us that we're supposed to know him. That's what he wants. The only true God and his son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth at the bidding of his father to redeem us. I'm going to close this little session about Jesus being uh, the way, the truth, and the life by going to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3 and reading verses 1 through 4. Verse 1 in Colossians chapter 3 starts out with if, and that makes it sound like it's a little bit iffy. Maybe yes, maybe no. Well, you need to understand that there are different instances in which this word if is used in the original language, and there are certain instances when you can substitute the word since. It's done. It's a done deal, okay? So this is one case where we can use the word since, and so we say, since ye then be risen with Christ, here's what we're supposed to do. Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Since ye then be risen with Christ. We have new life in Christ Jesus. He not only is the way, the truth, and the life, but we have the abundant life. We have the resurrected life. We have eternal life in Christ Jesus. Keep your eye on the sky, beloved. Jesus is coming soon, and we want to go up with him. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Now we're going to leave that for now. Think I was thinking about singing a song, I'm going to, if we do that at all, we'll do it at the end, I want to keep on moving, so now we're going to shift gears, and we're going to talk about Jesus being our mediator, and so if we want to go to 1 Timothy, go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, where did we stop reading here, fellas, did you finish your Okay, you're next, um, Luke. Then we'll okay, and then we'll go to uh, Caleb. Read First Timothy chapter two, verses one through six, and we're going to focus for a moment on verse five. So let's read those six verses. Three, one, one, what, right now? Why don't you just read the whole thing, Luke? And yeah. <laughs> Made for all men, for kings, for all that are in quiet, life, all is good one God and man the for all, Okay, thank you. There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, and that mediator is the man Christ Jesus. So it's very clear to us at this point there is a mediator between God and you and I. And so I have two questions. Number one, what is a mediator? And number two, why do we need one? I think we really ought to know. Now I'm going to assume here at this point in time that everyone here has a reasonable concept of a courtroom and the proceedings that take place in there when somebody is being somebody is on trial. Perhaps you have had first hand experience with a judge or paying a, a fine or something like that. I hope not, but maybe you have seen in, in a TV program or read a book or something, but you have a basic understanding of legal matters. You know what the courtroom is kind of like. So if you do, if you do have a bit of an understanding about legal matters, you know that there is a multitude of laws. Uh, there are more laws that you have any idea. There are obscure laws. There are laws for almost everything that you have no knowledge of, but an attorney does. Not only are there a multitude of laws, there are various legal proceedings that are accepted in a courtroom, some that are not allowed. There are certain procedures that you have to follow, and, and then the attorneys are, get together and work all this out, either to try to condemn somebody or to free somebody. So the question I have for you at this point is, you are innocent. You know that you are innocent. So would you consider defending yourself against an accusation of crime in a court of law before a jury? Would you want to be your own defense attorney? Or would you choose to hire somebody who is a professional, somebody who knows all these laws, they know all the proper procedures, and he knows what he's doing, would you trust him rather than yourself? Because you don't know the system. I think I know the answer. You would want to prove your innocence. You wouldn't want to go to prison or whatever if you had an opportunity to stay, to go free. Bible tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. And that, my beloved, is why we need a mediator on our behalf. We need a mediator because Satan is constantly accusing us before the throne of God. That's why we need a mediator, but it goes deeper than that. Second question is, what is a mediator? Webster tells us it's someone who helps to end a dispute. From the day we are born, Satan desires to drag us down into his camp, into his pit, for the sole purpose of destroying us. Oh, he may make things look pretty good and appetizing and all of that, but his only objective is to destroy us, period. He wants to put another notch in his belt. Rebellion shows up pretty early in our life. Now, we've got some children playing around here, and they've been very well behaved, so far as I know. They're doing fine, but any one of us who have had the opportunity to raise children in our families, we will know very quickly that when you have two children playing, Especially if one is a guest that comes in the house, you have two children starting to play together, and pretty soon one of them's crying because hey, he took my tractor, or I only hit him because he hit me first. Those those are common refrains. That's rebellion. Our selfish nature, our strong will, our me-first attitude manifests itself very early in life. Just with little children, they have to be taught how to respond. They have to be taught how to share. Sometimes it works early and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we're successful, sometimes not. But in in all of this, the parent has to come over and then they have to mediate between this and they have to end this dispute one way or another. They have to reconcile this difference between these two children. And so now then they go back to play and everything's fine until the next time. And it will happen again. The Bible tells us that there was enmity, that means hostility, there was enmity between us and God. Let's go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we want to read three verses there. Verses, um, get the right place, yes, verses 14 through 16 uh, Caleb would you read those please Ephesians 2 14 through 16 And then might reconcile both unto God and one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Thank you, Caleb. So Jesus Christ, our mediator, reconciled us to himself. He settled the dispute for our soul, and that's the way you can read that. There was a dispute between him and Satan, who's going to have possession of this soul. He settled that dispute for our soul by his death on the cross. Now I wish you could say it was over with, but it's not. The battle is still raging. Satan doesn't give up easy. The Bible tells us that he's the accuser of the brethren, and that means there is still an ongoing battle between God and Satan for your soul. And Satan takes takes the battle right out here in the life that we live. Satan hasn't given up, as you well know from your own personal life experiences. And I wish I could tell you, I wish I could stand here, believe me, I wish I could do this and tell you when he tempts you 49 times, he's done, he's not gonna come back the 50th. I can't do that. Rather, I can tell you that I believe he's gonna test you and tempt you until you die. Now that's not a pretty picture. But I want you to know, if you don't take anything else away from this today, if you don't take anything else away from here, you are not alone. You have a mediator that's on your side, and you've got more than that. We're going to find out here shortly. You have a mediator that's going to help you meet these temptations and these testings that Satan brings into your life. I have Three New Testament words I want to share with you, all three of these have a part in this process of defending us before the throne of God. The first word is mediator. That word is used five times in the New Testament, and it always refers to Jesus. The word is mesetus, and it means literally reconciler, intercessor, an arbiter, of a last will and testament. Jesus has written his last will and testament. That's what we've been talking out of here. This is his last will and testament to us. And there, he is going to also be the arbiter of, he is the one who, who de- decides what it says and how it applies to our lives. He's the arbiter of the last will and testament to us. The second word is comforter. It's used four times. And that usually, well, no, as far as I know, that always refers to the Holy Spirit. The word is parakletos. And it means consoler, intercessor, advocate. And it, the, the word advocate literally means, to put it in today's language, it means someone who comes, is called to come alongside. You hear this used in, in the form of a paramedic. The word para, P-A-R-A, paramedic. The paramedic is not the doctor. The paramedic is someone who comes alongside the doctor, comes alongside you. You are in bad situation. You are in good hands with the paramedic until the doctor gets there. He comes alongside. He takes the place of the doctor until the doctor can drop what he's doing, and then he can tend to your needs. So the comforter is a paracletos. He is a paramedic, if you will until the doctor, the Lord Jesus, can attend to us. So we're in good hands, in the comforter. The third word is advocate. And it's used only one time, and we just read that, and it refers to Jesus. Again, it's the same word, parakletos, but this time, it has the connotation of him being our defense attorney. He's an advocate. He's our defense attorney. Now then, taking all of this, I think that I have answered the question, what is a mediator? I kind of added that definition by default and in, in, in all of that. And now I think of, and, well, I think of answered the question, why do we need it at the very beginning is what I wanted to say, now I've answered the question, what is a mediator? So now I ask you, if you know why we need a mediator and you know what a mediator is and who our mediator is, I ask you with that kind of clout, our mediator, our comforter, our advocate, with that kind of clout in the heavenly courtroom, do you think that you have anything to be worried about when you keep your focus on our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is also our mediator? Do you think you have anything to worry about? Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, is our defense attorney. His Holy Spirit is there to comfort us, to console us, to intercede on our behalf. Jesus Christ is our personal defense attorney. And may I say to you that between the two of them, between the two of them, they have never lost a case, nor will they ever lose a case before Satan. They are victorious over all. And we have them on our side. Furthermore, there is coming a time when Satan and all his demons will be cast into the lake of fire and they will be punished for the same eternity, the same period of time. It's not, that doesn't really fit, but it's for the same eternity that we are spending in the presence of the Lord, our Savior, they will be spending in punishment. Beloved, it doesn't get any better than that. We've got the Lord Jesus Christ interceding for us. Now then, We've got to keep in mind that there is, in fact, a constant battle going on in the spirit world. It's Satan and his demons versus Jesus Christ and his mighty angels. We can't see that battle. We can't hear it, but it's real. And all we can do is is witness the effects and the fallout from this ongoing conflict by looking at our wretched, upside-down society and considering the temptations that we face in our own lives. Satan is a dirty fighter. There is nothing sacred or profane to him. In fact, he delights in stepping on the profane. He will use any tactic at his disposal. And I want to use a commonplace, something that takes place right now, to illustrate my point, if you know anything at all, if you follow anything about in the news about what's taking place over in the Middle East, you know, first of all, that the Jewish people are very, very humanitarian. They are very reluctant to take human life, even, even soldiers in another battle, but above all, they don't want to take the lives of any citizens, innocent women and children, and the Palestinians know that, and so what did the Palestinians do? They set up their artillery encampments in the middle of schoolyards, right next to hospitals, all of these places where they know that if Israel's gonna fire a missile over here to take out this artillery, probably probably gonna get some innocent victims. And so they protect themselves with innocent lives over here so that Israel can't come over and bombard them. That is satanic. That's not fair fighting, if you will. But that's what they do. Satan's a dirty fighter. Satan is behind that whole conflict, by the way. Satan is out to destroy by any and all means at his disposal, and his only objective, my dearly beloved, is to do as much damage as he can to the kingdom of God in hopes, in hopes that someday he can ultimately overthrow the kingdom of God and then receive all the praise and the glory and the the blessing that God receives. Satan is intensely, irrevocably, uncompromisingly envious of the glory and the power and the majesty of our God. Satan wants that for himself. That's why he is after your soul. And we're not going to let him have that. Beloved, make no mistake about this. Satan is powerful, but he is not all-powerful. Satan is brilliant, but he is not all-knowing. Satan has the ability to go anywhere he wants to at any time, whether it's in this physical world or in the spirit world, but he cannot be everywhere present at one and the same time. Only God can fill those offices to that extent because God is supreme. He is sovereign over all. And when I say all of that about Satan, I am not giving him kudos. I'm not trying to puff him up. I will not. I refuse to do that. Absolutely not. I'm simply stating facts to you that telling you like it is. Beloved, we can take heart in knowing that our God is in control. Our God is in control. We are secure in him alone. Satan is relentlessly trying to confuse you, to discourage you, to depress the people of God so that perhaps, perhaps some point in time he can entice them to fall into sin, drag them down, and keep them there. All he cares about is one more mark on his scorecard, one more victim in his ugly pit. So remember this, beloved, we are a target for him. He will stop at nothing to destroy you. We have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. The Bible tells us the Spirit that dwells within us is greater than the spirits in the world. That's just another assurance of what I'm saying here. We can trust in God to take us through. Um, when we do stumble and fall, we know that, that Satan is, is standing there pointing his bony finger at us, and he's saying to God, See there? See, I told you. That he was, he was, he's a sinner? And God says, yes, but look at him right now. He's on his knees. He's repenting before me. He's covered by my blood. Take a hike, Satan. I want to share three scriptures with you, and then we're going to close. Um, Hebrews chapter 9. I think I will just read these myself. I don't want to encroach on time here. Hebrews chapter 9, we're talking about, we're going to wrap this up here about our mediator, our comforter, and our advocate. The one that we have to take care of us, to fight our case in court, the one who has never lost a case, nor will he ever lose a case. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15 Um, I'm going to just pull this verse out of here because I don't want to encroach. I'm going to have to be talking about some verses prior to this and another uh, tomorrow. So I'm just going to lift this out for now and you'll see uh, there's more to come together later on. Verse 15 says, For this cause, and we'll find out later what that cause is, He is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament or the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance and for this cause jesus is the mediator of the new testament he is the mediator of this new covenant of grace that we are living under today he's that by the means of his death for the redemption of the transgression that those that were under the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. You and I have the promise of eternal inheritance. And we've already told you how God is jealously protective of of the gift that He has given to His Son. Jesus Christ protects that gift as well. Let's keep our faith in Him. Let's serve Him. Let's be faithful to Him. We uh, didn't't even going to have time. We're not even going to go into the talking about the, the new covenant of grace. That's a whole nother program. Let's, let's go. two more scriptures. John chapter 14. That one was about the mediator. Now we want to give you a scripture about the covenant, or, I'm sorry, the comforter. John chapter 14. <clears throat> verse 26. <clears throat> John chapter 14, verse 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost... Is there any question in your mind who the Comforter is? shouldn't be. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. This Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost is going to teach us. He's going to instruct us. Do you you feel sometimes like you're tempted to do something over here and you feel something in your head saying, no, 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 you, you don't want to go there. You don't want to do that. That's the Holy Spirit telling you. It's not your conscience. It's the Holy Spirit telling you, no, we better stay away from that. We better do something else. The last scripture, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> Jesus or rather, John says. Here's the elderly John in his age and his wisdom. He is saying to us, my little children, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate. What did we say an advocate was? Somebody tell me defense attorney. We have a defense attorney with the Father, and that defense attorney is Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation. He is the atoning sacrifice. He appeased the divine wrath of God on our behalf. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The whole world being whosoever will come to him in faith, believing wheresoever you are. He atones, his sacrifice atones for the sins of whosoever will. So beloved, Jesus Christ is in fact our mediator. He is our comforter. He is our advocate. Hallelujah. Let's praise his name in song. I think we're going to take this time to sing uh, song number 13.